0: Everything in this world is made up of matter. And those matters behave with each other in certain ways. And that, students, is chemistry.
1: What happens when love, science, and T1D collide? Well... If my guests today are any indication, a whole lot of T1D-based research, that's what. Married couple Rob Berry and Laura G. met several years after Laura was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, and just a couple of years before Rob was also diagnosed. Their story is an interesting one of integrated support and research. Welcome diabetic to dietetics. My name is Katie Bartell and I am the host of this podcast showcasing the incredible and unique stories of people with type 1 diabetes. As a registered dietitian who works with people that have type 1 diabetes and as a person that has T1D myself, I have seen and experienced the highs and lows of this disease literally and figuratively. Type 1 diabetes is not a textbook disease. The way one person experiences this disease can be vastly different from the way another person experiences it. There are so many stories buried in type 1. This podcast is all about sharing those stories. It's a place for those outside the T1D community to learn of our struggles and of our successes, and it's a place for those with T1D to connect. This is normally the time that I would share a quick little blurb on what type 1 diabetes is to make sure that all our listeners here are on the same page. However, given that today's guests are both super sciency, I thought it would be fun to have them describe T1D from their perspective. Rob Berry is a scientist that works in brain and spinal cord imaging, and Laura G is a communication specialist also with a science background. Rob's description of T1D, essentially describing a bunch of drunken warlords is probably the best verbal visual I have encountered with this disease in a long time. To
0: me, type 1 diabetes is like there's a little war inside your body and your immune system doesn't know if, you know, if it's fighting on the left side or the right side and kind of attacks the wrong party and your beta cells get fried and spend the rest of your life trying to do most of the functions of your pancreas. To me, that's what it's been like. It's like <laughs> you're basically doing the, the job of one of your organs.
1: Rob met Laura in 2005. He was working on his PhD in biomedical engineering, and she was working as a veterinary technician, caring for animals directly involved in research. On their first date, Laura informed Rob that she had type 1 diabetes.
0: I remember the first night that I think we could call, we actually had like an official date, she mentioned she was type 1 diabetic, so I remember going home and googling type 1 diabetes to try to learn more about that. As the weeks went on, I was having fun getting to know Laura. I would sometimes test my blood sugar on her meter, and my sugar was usually in the range of like 4 to 6 millimoles per liter.
1: Little did Rob know, his knowledge of type 1 diabetes would be amplified a thousandfold in the next couple of years. Rob was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at 29 years old, two years into to his relationship with Laura.
0: I remember reading an article when I was turned 29 saying that the vast majority of diagnoses are in people less than 29. I remember distinctly thinking, whew, I guess, you know, I'm probably out of the clear on that one. And then I was like, oh, a couple of months later, I was diagnosed. I was like, darn, I missed it.
1: Rob and Laura's T1D diagnosis stories are vastly different. Laura, like me, was diagnosed in the 1980s at seven years old. Her symptoms were common red flags for T1D in pediatrics, lethargy, extreme thirst, frequent urination, and weight loss. When Rob was diagnosed in 2007, he had very similar symptoms, so similar that Laura had him check his blood sugars they were 18 millimoles per liter. That's 324 milligrams per deciliter for my American listeners. For those without T1D, your fasting blood sugars are typically less than 5.5 millimoles per liter, and your post-meal blood sugars are typically less than seven millimoles per liter. 18 millimoles per liter is significant.
2: The signs were very obvious, the thirst. The going to the bathroom, the moods, all these things were in the back of my mind thinking, okay, wonder what your blood sugar is. Someone who has lived with type 1 for many years, it's something that just popped out. I'm grateful it did, but sad it had to.
1: Interestingly though, the difference between Rob and Laura was that when Laura went to the hospital, they knew fairly quick it was diabetes. But when Rob went to the emergency ward, he was presented with several rounds of disbelief in his own diagnosis. Maybe that's because he caught it so quickly and his body hadn't yet visibly weakened and wasted away, as is the case for many people diagnosed, or maybe it was because of his age. Type 1 diabetes used to be regularly referred to as juvenile diabetes, and in some instances, it still very much is. However, evidence shows it is no longer a child's disease. According to the CDC National Diabetes Statistics, 1.6 million Americans are living with type 1 diabetes, and 1.4 million of them are adults. In Canada, more than 300,000 people have type 1 diabetes and of those, approximately 267,000 are adults. Not all of these adults were diagnosed as children. I have met adults who were diagnosed in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and I even met one fellow a few years ago who was diagnosed in his 60s. It's stats like these that blow my mind when I hear stories like Rob's.
0: For me, we basically caught it as soon as possible, and we actually were met with quite a bit of skepticism when we went to the hospital. I went to the triage nurse, and I said, I'd like to check in. I think I have diabetes. And she said, well, why is that? And I said, well, my sugar is 18. She said, well, how do you know that? I said, well, I tested. And And she said, well, why did you test? I said, well, I had a tester nearby. Well, why did you test? Because I'm aware of the symptoms of diabetes. And so same thing. We went and we saw a doctor, and it was the same story. He was like, well, why are you here? And I said, well, my sugar's 18. And well, why do you know that? Because I tested. Well, why did you test? Because I have the symptoms. And he's like, oh, well, we have got a really accurate test meter here. And he tested my sugar. He's like, yeah, you're diabetic. I'm like, I know. That's why I came to the hospital. (laughs) I guess it's just so out of the ordinary for someone to be aware of the symptoms that they weren't prepared for it. And frankly, if I wasn't dating Laura, I might have been in the same bucket of months have gone by and I was withered away with a crazy C-peptide measurement, but that wasn't the case. I mean, I knew all the symptoms thanks probably entirely to me hanging around her.
1: To be clear, C-peptide is a measurement that identifies type 1 diabetes over type 2. If a person has a low C-peptide measurement with high blood sugars, that's an indicator of type 1 diabetes, whereas if a person has an elevated C-peptide, that's more indicative of type 2 diabetes. Although Laura would never have wished type 1 diabetes on Rob, she and Rob both admit having two T1Ds in a relationship is actually easier than one. They both gravitate towards the same types of foods and understand how foods will affect blood sugars. They are both on the same insulin pump and continuous glucose monitoring system, so ordering supplies is as simple as doubling everything, and now there's two people to keep tabs on when supplies are running low, but probably most importantly, they both thoroughly understand the effects of low and high blood sugars on mood.
2: Being a couple that lives with type 1 diabetes is actually very, very positive. We both understand how food affects us. We both understand how activity affects us. And we also appreciate, too, the fact that life affects us. Out of the blue, one day, one of us might have high or a low and we also are very understanding because we we recognize that that can happen and so it's, it's just a very collaborative I guess and supportive environment here in our home
1: reflecting on their double diabetes relationship i considered my own with my husband who does not have type 1 my husband is super supportive i will never say otherwise he has been preparing my lunches for the last 12 years he regularly provides carb counts for my packed apple slices he works around my food desires related to my diabetes management and when we're out cycling he will always stop no questions asked when I need to treat a low or dose insulin. However, sometimes my blood sugar moods aren't always recognized as a diabetes thing. Sometimes meals are changed on the fly without considering or understanding the impact that certain foods in that meal might have on my blood sugars. Sometimes I feel like a burden. And none of that is at the fault of my husband. It is simply that he does not have type 1 diabetes, and no matter how hard he tries to understand this disease, he cannot 100% understand because he is not living it. Team Rob and Laura are like the T1D support team to the extreme. They're not only a team in their relationship, though. They're also a team in research. The couple have participated in several research studies, mostly related to technology and type 1 diabetes.
0: We've been involved in several clinical studies, like not just one, not just two, like I've actually lost track of how many we've been involved
1: in now. Their professional backgrounds combined with their type 1 diabetes has no doubt been a researcher's dream come true. They both have an avid appreciation for science and research when we've
0: approached people in the past regarding possibly being involved in their clinical trials, the way that we've approached it has basically just been saying, hey, are you interested in getting two good data points? Because we both have a science background, we know that we take these things very seriously. We've kept records when we were involved. We have spreadsheets. We take meticulous notes that we've shared with the researchers afterwards. We know that we're giving back to the community in the form of good data. And you know what they use this good data for? For convincing the FDA to approve regulations.
1: The FDA Food and Drug Administration is the regulatory body that is responsible for approving things like new insulins, insulin pumps, continuous glucose monitoring systems, etc. in the United States. In Canada, the equivalent is Health Canada.
0: If the people who are doing this research get bad data, that's probably not going to lead to good endpoints with regards to new rules and regulations so we believe that we're doing our part to give the best quality data to the people who are then going to be submitting it to actually make real policy choices for tens of thousands of people.
1: Providing these trials with good data isn't the only driving factor for their involvement in research though. These two are strong advocates for the T1D community and for increasing awareness around type 1 diabetes and for pushing the T1D agenda towards a cure. In 2012, Laura was part of a documentary series featuring type 1 diabetes that was nominated for an Academy Award. Laura was also selected as a Medtronic Global Hero in 2015 that united several others wearing medical devices, myself included, in a weekend running advocacy and community building adventure. Participating in these clinical studies is another form of advocacy.
2: I may sound selfish, but I can see that being a participant in our current research regarding technologies will actually benefit me in my lifetime. I've seen it in my own lifetime already. Rob and I are both technology lovers. We've both seen how technology with type 1 diabetes has benefited us. Even 15 years ago, I would not have been able to imagine what I'm currently living with, the technology that I use every day. Being part of these studies also helps our medical community, and our scientific community understand more about the condition and the nuances and the intricacies with not only nutrition, but also fitness. From this, we can all only benefit. We also understand that there's a desire for a cure. And so even though right now our personal studies have been involved in the technology, this technology is helping researchers understand the actual diabetes, how it works, how it affects the body, insulin doses, things like that, because this is all information that fuels the eventual cure. It will come. It's just time. It's just research. It's going to be a lot of sacrifice for both time, money, resources, but it's all very possible.
1: I asked Rob if he'd ever consider combining his area of research with type 1 diabetes. I thought for sure he would have said yes but he was quick to say no. Although he admits that it's not uncommon for a person's life event to shape their professional path, T1D was not a part of his professional path. When he was diagnosed, he was already four years into studying the brain and had only begun to scratch the surface. Given how intricate diabetes is and how many organs it affects and interacts with, he wasn't willing to leave his love of the brain for something totally new. It would have been essentially starting over. However, that said, he and Laura do dabble in small-scale research trials limited to a population of N equals 2.
0: The one big challenge that we have that is still ongoing is insulin drops your blood sugar, but there's really no current technology that I'm aware of at least that raises it quickly in the same way, like insulin can drop it within minutes. experience definitely big swings in blood sugar when we go running and it can become very, very biphasic. Things go high and then low and then high and then low. And some of the challenges I've done on myself has been to try to mitigate that. You know that, okay, if I start running now and I'm running at a whatever minute mile, I need this number of carbs every... in order to make sure that in one hour, my blood sugar is not plummeting. So you have to kind of work backwards and usually it starts preparing the morning of a race. You deliberately let your sugar be higher the morning of the race. You deliberately, right before you run, have some snacks knowing that it's going to go up and then it is going to go plummet. And hopefully the amount that is going to plummet is going to be offset by the amounts going up and it stays flat. Laura, remember that one race? Was it the ultra
2: marathon or the marathon?
0: We spent like months preparing and our blood sugar for the entire race it's flat.
2: It was the most beautiful thing I've ever
0: seen. Like, like as, as two people that don't have functioning pancreases, we nailed the blood sugar control. It was just crazy how flat... It was for like literally, I think it was the marathon, it was like 26 miles and it was like a flat line because we were having our carbs and having our little snacks and having our juice and our water at the appropriate rate.
2: And knowing how many carbohydrates to eat every mile or two. It's so cool. I mean, it's just fascinating. When you live with type 1 diabetes and you cross that finish line, it's not so much about your time. It's more about like, hey, look at my flat line.
0: (laughs) Exactly. It's like, to heck with whatever my race time was. Take a look at my blood sugar control.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's no podium for that. But in our type 1 diabetes community, there definitely is. Whether it's on social or just our network of friends, it's definitely our podium moment.
1: Rob and Laura have been a part of my T1D podium for the last seven years, ever since we first met at Medtronic Global Heroes in 2015. We have been messaging intermittently over the years. Laura is one of the greatest cheerleaders you could ever have on your team. And Rob, well, he is a very significant factor in me passing some of my calculus and stats courses in order to become a registered dietitian. That sciencey brain of his came in handy for yours truly. I want to thank Rob and Laura for being a part of this podcast and for sharing their unique story. If you'd like to be featured in an upcoming Diabetic to Dietetics podcast episode, please email info at katiebartel.ca. Until next time, T1D community, stay happy, stay safe. I'm Katie Bartell.